As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to The Suitcase and The Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of The Suitcase and The Scribe, Mike McKenna. Mike, this will be the final podcast of the second round. I think my math is right. By the time you and I reconvene next week, we'll be down to four, conference final, a lot of stuff going on. It's going to be such a great episode. Mm. Leah Hextall is going to join us from the Battle of Alberta. So we'll talk that when we get to Leah later on in the podcast. But how are you feeling now midway through the second round? Are you, you know, how are you feeling? Do you have, um, you know, the series are a little bit all over the map. There's a, you mm-hmm. know, the Carolina Rangers are tied at 2-2. Of course, Tampa's already done so much for the President's Trophy winners. Um, of course, Edmonton now up 3-1 on Calgary and uh, Colorado up uh, similarly, similar in a similar fashion, 3-1. Sim- <laughs> I, I, how are you feeling? What's your mid-second round vibe right now? Well, you know, the, the first thing is that since we won't have another podcast until next Wednesday, that's also just about the last day of school. So we're really going to be in one around the McKenna household here with the kids all summer, but <laughs> look at it, these scores and these series, man, like I didn't expect Tampa to just roll Florida like that. I mean, four straight, that's a surprise to me, you know, as, as potent as the offense has been all season long for Florida, even if it wasn't there in playoffs, you thought for sure one or two of those games would turn into a track meet and they'd be able to pull it off. Yeah. And they didn't. And it's not just that Florida wasn't great. Vasilevsky's on top of his game. Tampa looks like they're on a mission yet again. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm just kind of sticking on that series right now. But, like, Tampa won that largely without Braden Point, the whole series. And he's probably their their most dynamic player, Scott. Would you argue that he's not? I mean, he... Yeah, he and Kucherov, I think it's, you know... 1A, yeah. 1B sort of thing. But yeah, no, he's, yeah. he's critical so, and he's a center. So. so he's out, you know, Kucherov, Stamkos, and Hedman, they're all doing their thing. There's no surprise there. They've all performed. But every single year, it's a new depth player for the Tampa Bay Lightning that makes a huge difference. And we've seen this with Yanni Gord or Tyler Johnson or Blake Coleman or Berkeley Goudreau. Like, it's just on down the list. And this year, you're seeing it. Corey Perry, Ross Colton. I mean, Pat Maroon has yet another game-winning goal. You know? I know. What about what about our our podcast foul, Nick Paul? What a Nick what a Paul. playoff for him! Like what is? Yeah. And he's a bit banged up. He took a he he took a hard hit game two or three, I think, and mm-hmm. and still like I, I got to run into him before game six of the Toronto series, and as you know from having him on the podcast, and and you know him well, but what a terrific playoff for him and he is so important to that team so and and that's a you know he's a perfect example yet another person that's come in and fit that mold and and i'm not sure that the lightning knew the quality of leadership they were going to get from him yeah um one of the games was mic'd up recently and had they had nick paul and yeah man you should have heard him like he just everything on the bench was the right thing at the right time um so i i just i thought i thought tampa managed the puck better than florida they blocked shots they weren't overwhelmed by the moment and florida was in a different time zone basically okay and you know we haven't even touched like Bobrovsky and I thought he was fine but fine's not going to win you anything against the lightning so so yeah man like that series I think the big sweep for nothing was that surprised me but these other ones Scott like 
I'm not surprised at all that the Rangers in Carolina where that series is Carolina can't win on the road. Uh, and then, you know, you look at St. Louis and, and Colorado and, and I expected St. Louis to win that series. I do not expect that any longer with Colorado up yeah. three to one. Now um, I don't think it's been a very close series. No. And for reasons that I touched on in a piece yesterday for daily Faceoff. When you boil it all down, it felt like the identity of the Blues just flew out the room when Jordan Mennington was injured and left the game in game three. So, I mean, I think Colorado, that series is going to be done soon. Uh, Rangers, Carolina, boy, that seems like it's tracking towards a seven, doesn't it? And, um, you know, we haven't even touched on the Battle of Alberta, which we're going to presumably do a little bit later today with yeah. one of our guests that'll be on, Leah Hextall, who covered that game last yeah. night in Edmonton, been covering the series. So, um, boy, Edmonton looks good, Scott. What do you, what do you think? Are you surprised by first? Are you surprised by the sweep? The rest of the series, did you envision vision them playing out this way? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on the, now I picked Tampa to win this series. I did as well. My original grid, I had Toronto beating Tampa and Florida. So, but I did pick Tampa to, to win this series. I, you know, I mean, no one, I, I don't think anyone expects the president's trophy winners to get swept. I don't care how good Tampa is. And, and really, you know, it's I, I know. So I want to ask you this question because you know Tampa beats a really good Toronto team, and there is nonstop angst as there is want to be. You know, Toronto hasn't won a playoff round since '04, and all the history there. What do you do if you're Toronto? Would you move out big pieces? All those sorts of things. And, and maybe it's just a function of the media market in Florida. It's a team that won its first playoff round since 1996, but mm-hmm. that's an embarrassing performance i'm sorry you got swept you're the president's trophy winners you scored three goals i think they had one power play goal Mm -hmm. didn't score a power play goal in a series against washington where i thought they looked pretty flat for a lot of it and if washington scores an empty net goal in game four that they missed by what did it hit the post and this missed by this right off the edge that series is over and it's the caps who are playing tampa I, 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 but I, my sense is, you know, I don't know if there's angst in Florida or not, but I, I, you know, this is the first go round for Andrew Burnett. So mm-hmm. I think you have to cut him all kinds of slack, but man, John Cooper, I, I don't think there's any other way to put it. He ate Andrew Burnett's lunch, right? That was not, that was a coaching mismatch. And I don't, I, Florida seemed to have no answers. And for a team that was as good as they were, throughout the regular season to not have any answers. That's, I mean, that's gotta be really disappointing. Do you think, am I overstating it? Um, I don't think you're overstating the outcome. I do think that ultimately it does come down to the players and whether they can perform or not. And if you go over 24 or over 25 on a power play, boy, I mean, coachings and coaching and systems and everything can only do so much. Like you need your players to perform. And uh, I do agree with you, but this is like you said, though, it's Brunette's first crack. Like he took over a third of the way into the season for Joel Quenville in Florida. And and I don't think it's fair to take somebody who's never been a head coach before. Yeah. um, And just after that experience, especially getting to the second round and beating Washington and having to fight for it, you got to give Andrew Burnett another go if he wants it. That's how I yeah. view this. And I think this is, and you know, he said, remember we had this discussion where they lost Florida lost game one of the first round. And he goes, this is good for us. And I went, uh, uh-uh, this is not good for you. <laughs> um, and you know, but I think Andrew Burnett losing to John Cooper in Tampa Bay and the lessons that can be taken from this entire series, that is good for him. Yeah, because you look back and you reflect and you learn and you get better. And this is a guy who's he's done that his whole career, his whole life. You know, yeah. like I, I would have confidence that this would be a, a good step for Florida. And I think they accomplished. I know they went all in to win. Yeah. But man, like Tampa's not that far removed from getting swept by Columbus in the first round. You know, yeah. this is this is how hockey is. And I admire everything Bill Zito did in Florida. If you got that team, why not go for it? Yeah, it's it's cup or bust, man, whether they lose in the second round or not. I mean, if Tampa goes on and wins this thing, Scott, which could easily happen, yep. you know, how do you reflect on it then? I've lost I've been on teams that lost the eventual champion. I did had Tampa twice in my career in the second round. And, I, and at the time we thought, damn it, we were way better than this. We should have been the final, you know, and no, the final actually should have been us and that other team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So but I, I see and I, I'm with you and I'm not suggesting that. 
you know, Bill Zito should fire Andrew Burnett. Right. I, I just think it's, it's one of those things. It, it was interesting. I, I talked to, uh, I talked to John Tortorelli yesterday and I talked to Claude Julian who called me from Finland uh, and I'll be a, Totally honest. I forgot he was actually coaching Canada's team in <laughs> Finland at the Worlds. Um, Rick Talk and I chatted just about – because I think, you know, I watch what happened in, in that series and the, and the coaching challenges are so much different in the playoffs. And, you know, it, it, sometimes you got to go through it. And, and I'm yeah. with you. I, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, saying, oh, wow, you know, blow up Florida mm-hmm. – you know, that's a learning experience too. And it will allow me a segue because I think like last year they lose to Tampa in the first round. Yes. You're learning, you're learning. You, you lose in the second round in a pretty ugly fashion to Tampa. That's I think a building block thing. And I think that's why I'm curious about what happens over the next 48 hours, 72 hours to the Carolina hurricanes, because mm. I, you know, when they were my pick, I, hey, well, I'm totally candid, right. I'd provide content for them periodically, but I had them picked last year to win the cup. And I went right back to them this year. I had them in St. Louis. So I'm, I'm with you. I thought St. Louis was going to be Colorado, but yeah. I, I, you know, you, uh, you learn as you go. And this is a team that's six no at home, zero and four on the road. Two, you know, it's Jekyll and Hyde for them. They're going to find a way to to you know to prove that they have learned these hard lessons and can persevere, even though their power play stinks as well. Yep. And find a way. The Rangers, I thought, would be a team that might take you know that might hit that roadblock like Florida last year, or you know where you you are red, you know, you think you're ready, but maybe you're not ready enough, mm-hmm. but the Rangers have been real good. in Shesterkin since getting lifted in three and four against Pittsburgh has been out of this world. I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. Cause I still think Carolina, you know, man, you don't want to play seven games and then turn around and play Tampa after a week's rest. But I still think Carolina as they're structured is a team that could beat Tampa in a seven game series, but Right now, they're two out of three to get by a, a really young and invigorated Ranger team that made all the right moves at the trade deadline. You know, Andrew Kopp, unbelievable last night in game four. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you make? Like, what do you, how do you see the playing out? Best two out of three to finish up that series. Well, Carolina can beat anybody, but they can only win in six or seven games. That's right. You know, and I made the mistake of picking them to sweep the Bruins in the first round, and I didn't think the Bruins were great. Yeah. Okay. Like the Bruins have been, they had good moments this year, but they were really a mediocre team for the most part. And, you know, it's Carolina seven games and they can grind. They can play their system. They can receive great goaltending because anti Ranta, man, what a story there. He's been great for Carolina. And I mean, there was a sequence last night where Shishjurkin made one rush save. I mean, just post to post and within, you know, in almost in that felt like in the same blink of an eye at the other end, Ranta just does the similar thing, uh, post to post, big say, and I'm just goalie nerding so hard, man. Um, but this is what we've talked about with Carolina previously, that for a team that I, I love, like if I, if I wanted to look for a model team on how to play, I really think it's Carolina. Yeah. But we've always said, where's the star power? And, and I, here's the thing. I think Sebastian Ajo is an absolute superstar. He's so sick. He's so good. Um, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. He's in Carolina and everything. But you look at the teams that are really crushing it right now in playoffs, and they all have players that are at Conn Smythe level. And I don't see anybody on Carolina that's at that. Yep. You know, Taravina, Ajo, Slavin, D'Angelo, like they've all been good to really good. Yeah. But they haven't been like elite, yeah. you know? And that's the step Carolina's going to have to take to go to win anything, to beat Tampa. Like, somebody's got to really grab this and go. Um, And otherwise they'll just have to grind period. And, you know, against, like you said, against the Rangers, the Rangers have a higher ceiling to me because man, when they're clicking, they're scary and they got a goalie that can win anything. Yeah. Um, I I posted a stat today um, and I had to correct myself because I had a little bit wrong the first time. So I sent out a second tweet, but it said that Igor Shostrykin is six and oh, when facing over 30 shots in under 65 minutes of action in playoffs right. this year. Yeah. You know, so that's game breaking and it's yeah. just, 
it's impressive. So I, I think this is, this is an awesome series. It started off kind of sleepy and now you're starting to see the rivalry build. You're seeing Revo is doing his thing, but you're seeing pushback from Carolina in that way. Yeah. Right. And that's not a team full of people that you'd expect to really answer the bell when you've got some big dogs on the other club, just namely Revo, like, you know, Truba, Domi, big hit. Like you love to see it, Scott. I Gerard Gallant, like, you know, he, 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 want, he was coming over the boards at the end of game three. It was, yep. I mean, it's really glorious. It, uh, just before we leave this, it's interesting. So I, I was, I started to call around <clears throat> again, in part because I was watching what happened to Florida. And, and, and again, I'm not piling on Andrew Burnett, but I think the reality is that was, that's hard for him. Right. I mean, he, sure, that, sure. what's his experience in that? He, he has none. So um, a healthy scratched Anton Lindell. I mean, like he made some bold decisions. Yeah, I, you, you know, know, but I mean, you know, putting Joe Thornton at the end. I don't know. Anyway, but that's, but I was, so I started to call around to some coaches, you know, who have experience, you know, what is it like? What's it like to coach in that environment? And it was interesting. I talked to John Tortorella yesterday. I hadn't talked to John in ages. Um, and I, you know, it's fair. To, it's out there and he's, you know, he's in, you know, he's being considered for that job in Philadelphia and I'm sure it's other jobs too, but he said something that was really interesting to me. And I'm curious what you think of this is that he felt that, you know, he's the last Jack Adams trophy winning coach to also win the Stanley cup in the same year. So in 04, but he felt that the game had changed so dramatically that, you know, back in 04 and that around that time, and maybe right after the lockout, it, it's all structure and X's nose and you're grinding, grinding, and you're paralyzing your players with all this information. He feels that because it's the game so young and so fast and so skilled, it, it's a, it's a, it's about the team belief in what you're doing. And it's not, you know, everyone has X in his nose. Everyone has video. It's not like you don't have structure, but he believes that the successful teams have a vision and the coaching staff gives them the vision and the players execute it because they believe it. And he said, he said, for my money, Rod Brindamore and the Carolina hurricanes have that perfect. They have it more than anyone else. And to your point, they may not have the star power of a McKinnon, McDavid, Drazad will go down the list. But he believed that. Now, that was before game four. I think this is a huge test for Carolina. Can can that belief carry you through a real dry spell with the power mm-hmm. play? The fact that somehow now you cannot win on the road. But but I thought it was interesting that that was something that John Tortorell had identified in terms of he, his evolution. He believed this was the evolution of the game. Do, do you buy that? I think he's spot on with it. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting. I've almost crossed paths with John a couple of times uh, and never have. And he's somebody I'd, I'd love to talk to. And what I, what I admire about John is that he's taken some pretty bold stances in his life and his career. And, yeah. and I think sometimes looking back on those, uh, they weren't the best, but he's always been willing to accept that, Hey, I was wrong and I would do something different. Like this is a guy who's always learning and I love his passion for the game. And Mm -hmm. I know it's easy to say that the passion, but like he lives and breathes it. And that same passion is similar to what he's describing amongst the team that you need to have. And, and you hear this with Tampa Bay that while they just know, well, what they know is the emotional investment that's needed to be successful. You know, you can have all the systems you want in the world, but if you don't know that when you get down two nothing or three, nothing, you can come back. No problem. If you don't believe in yourself, if you don't truly look at your teammates and think it's there and that you have the structure that if you stick with it, you'll be where you need to be. You're not going to win much. And, and even the playoffs, like, Florida lost that very fast, you know, and that's, that's the experience factor, right? Like they didn't know, they don't know how to react to that. They'd never been there. Tampa, nothing's phasing that team right now. Yeah. I mean, Andre Vasilevsky played five really mediocre games to start the playoffs and the guys turned into Superman again. Like, like Scott, he's, he's literally on the edge right now being the greatest, greatest playoff goaltender of all time. If they repeat, give it to him. Yeah. I've never seen anything like this. Six shutouts and elimination games. And I'm getting sidetracked off Carolina yeah. here. Um, but I think John's spot on. Like you have to have an emotional level investment, especially with young players and such skilled players that mm. you don't want to rein in every last bit of their creativity. Yeah. You've got to let that reign supreme for them. So um, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a cool, um, it's a cool look at it. Yeah. And I, and I, I think for me, it kind of, 
it opens the door here for us to just talk coaching for a little bit because boy, there's a lot going on. And I know the playoffs are the big, the big thing in the league right now, but you know, Tortorella is interviewing with the flyers and Barry Trotz has interviewed now with correct me if I'm wrong, the flyers as well. And the Winnipeg jets, um, boy, there's a lot of names out there, you know, and like, I haven't even heard David Quinn's name mentioned much. And I think that he's probably somebody who should be getting a pretty good look here, Scott. So what's, what's your feel on the, on the temperature of coaching around the league? I think I'm, yeah, I'm interested in it as well. And, you know, Rick talk, it is certainly, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to have, he's going to have an opportunity and, and, you know, and we've talked about it when Barry Trotz was shockingly in my mind, the dispatch by the Islanders and uh, Lane Lambert gets that opportunity there. But, you know, I think there's an obvious pecking order and Barry Trotz is at the top. And uh, certainly the, everything I'm led to believe is that Barry Trotz is going to be very, he wants a certain, he, there are things that are important to Barry Trotz. And, and one of them is that he has, a say in personnel and I think is looking long-term to, to a relationship that may, you know, that, that may see him move from coaching into something more, you know, full-time management wise, whatever title you want to give it. I think Patrick Raw did the similar thing towards the end of his rather brief tenure in Colorado. And, and so that's what Barry Trotz wants. Now, some teams may not be comfortable with that. Like, to me, if I'm the Winnipeg Jets, I tell Barry Trotz he can do and have anything he wants. If yeah. he wants to sit in Mark Chipman's office every day or drive Mark Chipman's car, then he could do that. 35 chocolate-covered strawberries on his desk every, every single morning. Day. <laughs> but, but I don't know. You know, to me, is Vegas going to do that? Well, I don't know. Vegas is Vegas its own animal. I don't well, let me interject here quickly. That just tells me if I read between the lines with it, that Barry Trotz was sick of working for Lou in terms of like player personnel. Okay. Like, and I don't mean this in the sense that like there was fights there. Anything. I, I, I'm a hundred percent sure that it was an incredibly professional relationship because that's how Lou manages and operates things. But boy, if you feel like your hands are tied and you're not getting the players you need to be successful and you have absolutely zero say in it, why do that at Barry Trotz? not just his age, but I mean, his level of experience and what he commands in the marketplace. Yeah. He deserves that opportunity to have what I would see probably like, I think this is fair to say, Scott, if, if Barry Trotz decides to coach again, I'd say this is probably kind of his final swing at it. Just given how long he's done it for. Yeah. I think this is it. And I think he wants the best chance to be able to, to win by having a lot of say, frankly, and he deserves that. Don't you think? <laughs> totally. No, I, yeah. if you, if you were in a position, listen, David Quinn's not making that ass with all due respect to David Quinn. I mean, that he's no. in a different stage of his career. And there are lots of, you know, there were just, yeah, Barry Trotz has earned that right. Maybe it's hard to find, but he has earned the right to find the fit that works for him professionally, that fits for him family wise he's earned all that you know in my mind you know to me he's he is one of the great coaches of his generation i you know one stanley cup couple final four performances yeah i i have no hesitation in saying that and you know what he's he's a hell of a human being and i say get what you can get so i agree with you i think it'll be interesting there's a lot of names out there for that market and no shortage of openings there may be more by the next month for all we know you know what we're gonna do we're gonna ask leah hextall about this too because she is she has a manitoba is her place so we're gonna ask her so um as promised um listen before we bring leah in though let's take care of this business which i is so important And the reminder that DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. Uh, Playoff time is critical for that. And I I can't speak for Leah, but I know she's been on the road, so maybe she's had some DoorDash delivered. I don't know. But anyway, let's let's talk to ESPN's Leah Hextall. As promised, thanks to the wonders of technology, Leah Hextall joining us from lovely. So my guess is Leah still in Edmonton, getting ready to make the trip back down whatever road that is between Edmonton and Calgary for game five of the battle of Alberta. How, are you, have you had a couple of Tim's this morning or what's, how is how are you feeling this morning after another epic installment in the battle of Alberta? 
Yes. Well, I am still in Edmonton and I will soon get in the vehicle and go down Highway 2. That's the road that connects Edmonton, Calgary. So to give you a little bit of um, Alberta geography there. Uh, so I'm just here going to chat with you guys and I'm going to get packed up and I'm going to head right back to Calgary and we'll see what happens in game five with uh, obviously so much on the line. Does it feel good being on home turf? I mean, you haven't moved out of Western Ontario or Ontario, Western Canada for a little bit coming from Brandon. And now you've got Edmonton, Calgary. It's, it's interesting for me as an American where I spent so much time in my own country that when I went to Canada, it felt special. When you come to the United States, is there that feeling any longer at all anymore, considering the travel demands that you have? Yeah, I think, Mike, that that has disappeared. Um, yeah. The reason being is because of how much travel I did this year with ESPN. You know, all of our games were in Canada, the games that I did. And, you know, when you are literally on the road for four or seven days every week, um, sometimes because of the testing this year, it made more sense for ESPN when I had several games. They would keep me down. So I think I had three to four two-week road trips at a time. Uh, it just made more sense. And I'd bounce from four different states for four different games and 14 days. So I think that actually helped prepare me for the playoffs a little bit, but it was my first time traveling. I've been a studio person, you know, hosting Mm -hmm. um, the majority of my career. So to live life on the road, uh, has been, you know, it's the real deal. I have so much respect for people who have been doing this for years. You know, Scotty knows this well. You know this from being, well, actually you don't because your lives are much more cushier than than ours are uh, when you're traveling with teams. <laughs> but, but, um, hey, but, uh, all those bus rides in the well, minors, man. <laughs> count those. those are very legit. Um, so, you know, it's been a ton of travel. So, yes, to answer your question, it has been lovely to, you know, just bounce over two provinces from Manitoba Manitoba, where I'm based in Winnipeg and have a direct flight for the first time in the year, you know, because coming from Winnipeg, everything's a connection through Minneapolis. But I think what actually makes it special is the fact that it is the Battle of Alberta. It Mm -hmm. is two Canadian teams. And the fact of the matter is one of them is going to get to the Western Conference final, which means they're four wins away from the Stanley Cup final, which means perhaps we're eight wins away from getting a Stanley Cup back in this country for the first time since 1993, which I think at this time with everything that's gone on in the world, including even yesterday, which comes over the border at us Canadians, it would mean a lot. And it would take over this entire country. Uh, You know, these two teams, even if you aren't, they aren't your teams, it will take over this country, which is pretty special uh, if they can make their way to uh, the final. So I'm I'm curious. So when you, you know, when it shakes down and, you know, Edmonton prevails against uh, LA in game seven and Calgary ekes out their victory over Dallas, and you know that this is going to be your assignment how has it been different than you imagine? Because, you know, watching from afar, you know, the anticipation has been so great and it's must watch television, but I wonder what it's been like or how it's been different for you to be on the ground in those arenas every single night. And even the off days with all that's gone on, is it different than you imagined? Or what's, what's that whole vibe been like? Well, Scott, I think it's been really special because when the first round was going on, I, I bumped into five of the eight series um, during it for ESPN, but I got to call game five for both the Edmonton series and the Flames series in the play-by-play role. And that's when both those series were tied at two apiece. So they were big pivotal games. As we know, the winner of that 79% of the time goes on to win the series. And that occurred in both of those series. And then I got to come back and report for game seven with Bob Oshusian and Brian Boucher, who's the team I'm working with right now. So I've really been watching these teams uh, since about game five. I've been working on them. And then, The difference, though, is between those series and when we got to the Battle of Alberta, I find myself literally standing there, whether I'm between the benches in Calgary, where my position is, or in the Zamboni entrance here in Edmonton, the noise at the beginning of the games is like nothing I've ever heard. And I've been in a few rinks and I'm I'm from Manitoba where it's got one of the loudest rinks in Winnipeg, but this is crazy. And I have to say, I think Rogers place is the loudest rink. I have been in. So 
just feeling everywhere you go, you see sweaters, you see people walking around. When they win the game in Edmonton, they're honking like they just won the cup. Like it's it's like we're we're all like you still got ways to go, kids. But uh, you know, it just it has completely taken over both cities. The viewing areas, whether it's the Moss Pit here, which is named after Joey Moss, who we lost in 2020 uh, from the Oilers, it's packed outside. The Red Lot in Calgary is packed outside. Uh, it's just it's just. It's amazing. Like I, you almost can't describe what the feeling is. It's just a pure shot of energy. And it's really probably the only reason that keeps you going when you start to get into these long stretches uh, of the playoffs, because you just feed off of the energy. So I can only imagine that that's what the players are doing is, you know, feeding off. And, and that's why I think Calgary's got a real good shot of winning game five. Yeah, I was I called uh, I was at ice level for game three between L.A. and Edmonton. And, you know, that that Staples Center can be. Or that is now Bitcoin. I believe. Oh boy. Crypto.com. Yes, crypto.com. See, this is the this is the the naming rights is so difficult because they've all changed. I'm from St. Louis, and that that arena downtown has changed names seven times. Anyway, um, but but like that's an arena that can be loud, but it's not loud constantly. And you notice it by the time you get to the second round that it's it's the whole game in these arenas. It's such a different vibe for the players and the fans. And um, and now having worked in media enough to have walked in and out of buildings, uh, just like yourself, you see some unique things as you're coming in. And I, I'm curious from that aspect, whether it's been in Edmonton or Calgary with the, the seas of people outside the building. I mean, what has caught your eye? I, I, you go to Buffalo, people are going through tables. You know what I mean? What's, what's been going on in Edmonton and Calgary that maybe has been unique or different or something that, you know, the casual fan wouldn't notice. You know, I think I'm going to say this. I think there's something about being Canadians, you know, so yes, they're passionate. Yes, they're excited. But there's almost, you know, last night I was sitting in a bar after having a bite to eat and a drink after the game. And you see people milling around with Calgary sweaters here in Edmonton. And there's all these like fun conversations. I was kind of thinking, wow, like, are there going to be some fights? Because, you know, like it's, you know, people are <laughs> up and, and everything else. But you that's know, the American way. <laughs> Fight each other. They're just, you know, I haven't really seen anything except pure joy and that's the only way I can describe it is that these two fan bases it's pure joy and I think I feel it even a little bit more here in Edmonton because to advance to that second round you know for the first time I think since 2017 if I'm not mistaken just having the Connor McDavid factor not being able to get over that hump with it there's a little bit of magic going on in this city right now um, and, I, and you can feel it I, I feel like they feel it the team feels it the crowd feels it that they're there might be something special and that they're getting better and better not to discredit anything from Calgary because obviously they're an incredible team and they have an incredible fan base. Um, but they've been here before, you know, they've gone to a cup final back in 2004 where we saw the sea of red, like we've seen what they do. Um, you know, they've had a little bit more recent success, I guess, or expected recent success than the oil have. So um, I don't know. Calgary feels more like, yeah, we've, we're here. We know we're good kind of thing. Whereas with Edmonton, it's like, Every goal, every win. It's like, oh my God, we did that, yeah. even though they have the best player on the earth. So it's it's really kind of interesting to see the dynamics between the fan bases. And, and it's just different fan bases, too. It's different cities. Edmonton, and I mean this with no disrespect, very blue-collar city. Yes, it's an oil, an oil town as well, just like Calgary, but it's more northern. There's a little bit more edge here in Edmonton. I, ref I compare it to Winnipeg a lot, same kind of fan base. Calgary's a little bit more corporate sometimes, still a lot of passion, but, you know, very more polished place, you know, in some ways. So uh, there's, just, there's just those differences, but um, I would just call it I've just what I've seen is just pure joy and, uh, and people out and about in masses, which is quite lovely to see again. So I'm, I'm curious. I, I live vicariously through Mike. Well, on many levels, but what he was describing. <laughs> you never his, told me this, Scott. <laughs> his experience in Los Angeles. I think you got a Gray's Idol slash to the wrist. First five minutes. There yeah. you go. Right, yeah, right off but, the wrist. So Lee, I'm I'm curious because you know I'm watching every night, and I always am struck, and I'm, I'm hoping you can walk us through because, and it sounds like it's different in Calgary than it is in Edmonton, but those moments where you have to wedge in two or three questions in what seems to be like 10 seconds to the coaches. It just seems 
like it would be a challenge, but maybe walk us through what's that like? When do you do it? I loved your interaction with Daryl Sutter. I think it must've been in game three, but what's that whole thing been like? Because it strikes me as it might be fraught with uncertainty and maybe a little danger. I don't know. Yes. It, it's, um, it's one of those things where you feel like you're interrupting. That's what it feels like because you know that these games are so important. You know how much onus is put on the coach, whether people understand that or not. They are so active behind those benches. So you do feel like you're interrupting and that you shouldn't be there. You know, especially here in Edmonton, when I walk onto the bench, I'm like, and the boys are so great. They just get, oh, 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 yeah, let's just get out of our way. And, you know, and and the <laughs> key for me is this in and out, right? Like, yeah. so we do it on in TV world. It's, you know, at the 14-minute mark, so six minutes in, it's the first kind of break. We'll do one coach. And then the next commercial break, we'll do the next coach. And we get them both done in the first period just so we're not interfering. Um, you know, in the regular season, we do one per period. Uh, I think, Scott, the highlight of my career, was the moment with Daryl in game three here in Edmonton when I was actually beside him on the bench. And, you know, the first two games in Calgary, I got three word quick answers where he has to put the headset on because I'm in between the benches and I'm not with him. Right. Um, I know that Daryl comes off to a lot of people like a curmudgeon uh, when he does his media. He has a heart of gold. He, he is probably one of the greatest humans I've had an opportunity to meet as is the entire Sutter clan. Um, and I said to, and I've been kind of giving him little jabs about his interviews, about his three word answers. And, and uh, just in our own conversations when we have them before the games and I'm like, okay, so this time maybe don't look at the glass and look at me, you know, at the camera so we can see you when you're doing the interview, uh, maybe more than three words tonight, coach, you know? So <laughs> he finally said to me before game three, Leah, the problem is, is that I got so much going on in my mind and I'm just, you know, I'm distracted because I'm not with him. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So when I, in game three, when I got with him, he said, I've got so much on my mind. So that was the question I asked him. I just said, coach, listen, you told me this morning that at this point, you've got so much on your mind. What's top of mind right now? And he gave me a great answer. And I said to him, coach, that was like 20 words. (laughs) It is the highlight of my career because he laughed. And to get him to laugh (laughs) and smile when he's such an intense man and he's in the middle of the game. I had so many people in the industry texting me going, oh, my God, that is demo real material. You need to save that. I can't (laughs) believe you got him to laugh. But, you know, it's so much different when you're standing with the coaches, whether it's Jay, Daryl, anyone, because it's a conversation compared to when they have to put the headset on when we're in between the benches. But that's just part of part of the TV gig. But, you know, you slide in and out you kind of have to wait for to see what the game does because that's what you're going to ask about. So, you know, last night it was very simple. They had, you know, the early gaffe by Markstrom facing some early adversity coach. How do you feel your teams responded? Boom. That question's for Daryl, you know, and then I go over to Jay and Jay Woodcroft is a pontificator. He loves to talk. And when I listen to him in his avails, I, I hear him say certain things. One of the things he has consistently said is, we want to see a marginal gain every day. Okay, well, what's the marginal gain from game three to four that you're going to utilize tonight? So, you know, I usually just take kind of what they say to me and I bring it into a question or what the game dictates. And yeah. that's why I'm not saving lives here. And it's not rocket science. It's just talking <laughs> hockey. Yeah, but it's difficult to do. I've been on that end as well. Trying to ask questions in a live setting is you've really got to think on your feet because you don't get anything good if you just go in with the same answers all the time. If you can listen to what's being said and draw something out of it like you did by saying, hey, what's on the top of your mind? You give Daryl Sutter an avenue to just talk, which is not something that happens. It's hard to do. Um, I, I think that this you mentioned Woodcroft and I remember being there for L.A. Edmonton series and listening to him speak and thinking, this guy's using a lot of terminology that I'm familiar with that I'm not sure people really are in this game. <laughs> you know, he's, he's very, like, he spoke almost from an economical stance or economic standpoint on some things about investing and value and all this stuff. And um, it's interesting to get him and Cooper who I think are, are similar like that. They will go, they will ask, they will continue to play on. Um, but I think, you know, looking at this series, I, I wanted to go to the ice and what you're seeing, because this is, I don't think people, Going into it, thought, man, Edmonton's going to take it to Calgary here. And Edmonton has, and it's been a lot of the top line. But what's what's been the feel at ice level when you're down there from the benches? Has, has either team had more of an emotional flair to what they're doing from your vantage point? 
Well, I think the most entertaining part of being down below the benches is being privy to the conversations between Evander Kane and Matthew Kachuk. Uh, mm-hmm. That has given me um, some lessons in how to trash talk. Uh, I feel the next time I'm put in that situation, I will be much better at it from listening to the two of them go back and forth. It has been very entertaining. And um, and so just watching them go back and they don't stop sometimes. And I'm just like, boys, I, <laughs> you know, like I'm much older than them. And I'm just like, you can't so yeah but then you know then they just jump back on the ice and away they go um so you know i've been privy to some uh fun conversations which i always get a kick out of um i would say that i think the edmonton bench um it it really almost depends on what game um the edmonton bench was very emotional in game two and i thought it worked for them they had a goal called back which they did not agree with in game two and woodcroft was furious and you could see it. And he called the refs over. They came. And what I noticed about it was it wasn't like just two players kind of parted so he could just lean in and have his conversation with the official. The team came around him. They made like a semicircle and he was in the middle and they were all angry and they all wanted to hear. And then when he left, they were still angry. And I remember doing a report saying, you guys, I think this is going to be a pivotal point in this game for Edmonton right now. They were down at the time. And I said, they're now mad. And then they ended up getting one goal in that period. And then they came back and won that game with a shorthanded goal. And it really was something where there was more emotion shown uh, by the entire bench. Whereas Calgary feels intense, which is the tone from the top, right? Like Daryl's so intense, but you don't see him freak out. You don't see him get, you know, all wrapped up. Um, So I would say it's been more of Edmonton that I have that feeling of emotion from that they kind of up and down, up and down, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, Hey, what's going on where Calgary, you don't see that quite as much. And um, perhaps maybe that's an element that's missing right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe there needs to be a bit more emotion. um, If I think for sure, we're going to see a ton of desperation um, on, on, game five, but I will say this. I thought Calgary really played a lot better in those last two periods. Yeah. And we've seen them play mm-hmm. for the last couple of games. Yeah, and, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be really hard for Edmonton to go in there and win that game. Game four is always tough, but uh, to beat a team like the Calgary flames three straight times after what I saw for those final two periods last night, getting them back on home ice, last change, all those great little things that they're going to have. Uh, I think Edmonton's going to be in for it. We'll see what they can do. Yeah. I'm just, I'm curious before you let you go, Leah, and get your way south to Calgary and you talked about calling games earlier in this playoff year. And I'm curious your vantage point now, as it relates to Connor McDavid and, you know, it just, uh, you know, the superlatives don't seem to be enough for what we're seeing. And, And when you watch from afar, there's, there is edge of couch moments almost every night. Has it, what's it been like though, to go from, calling the games from your, you know, that upper vantage point to being as close as you are. Are there things that have surprised you at what you've seen or what do you take away from it? Because you've seen it from both now, you know, since the playoffs started. In game five, Scotty, so we are not in the press book, press box. We are actually on one of the concourses. So we're a little bit closer to the ice, which, yeah. you know, sometimes takes away from some of your perspective of watching plays develop. But um, you are also, to your point, you are closer and you really get to see these boys move. And so in game five, what I noticed, I was calling it with Dominic Moore. And as soon as the third period happened and they, you know, they needed, you know, they was tied series and, and they needed a couple goals. Every second word was McDavid. He was being double shifted. He had the puck and he didn't let it go. And it was so noticeable. And what I said to people was hockey is the ultimate team sport. One player can never win a game. You can have a goalie steal one maybe, but you still need the five guys in front to be doing something. A guy can get a hat trick, but there's still, you know, it's such a connective sport. It's not like the NBA where one player can go off and score 50 or 60 or 70 or whatever it might be, or the MLB where a pitcher has a shutout or a quarterback in the NFL. I really feel like hockey is that ultimate team sport. As of game five, Connor McDavid, has changed my vantage point that one player can win a hockey game because I saw him do it in game five. He takes it over. Mm -hmm. And then in game seven, I saw it again. It's, it's really been since game five. He did in game six, two, that every single game, the only game was last night where he wasn't quite as magical. It was the first time in the series, but we are seeing a player 
You know, I used to always say if I was drafting a team, I'd still select Sidney Crosby first overall. And we saw what he just did in the playoffs too, right? Like he literally put Pittsburgh on his back for several games. But seeing McDavid now so consistently and watching him and the way he spins away from the wall and creates room and the way he holds onto that puck, how he hits and finishes checks, mm-hmm. how he gets back to the defensive end. I have so much more respect for his game because if you only get to see McDavid doing highlight reels here and there, you just see the flash. Yeah. He is the best player hands down, not only in the world right now that I have ever seen. And I, I would say that we've ever had, and it's hard to compare because I know it's different generations and the game changes, there has never been an athlete like this in our game, in my opinion. And what we're watching right now is magical. And it's hard not to get somewhat fangirl about it when you're watching him. Because I'm, you know, I don't cheer for any teams. I really don't. And, but it is hard not to want to watch this guy play every night and know how special it is because uh, he, he's that good. And then you put him out there with Dry Seidel and Kane and what we've seen from the three of them together, uh, that combination has just been, uh, it, it's just dominant. Dominant. It's hard to watch as a former goaltender. Yes, I, I, it is. It's uh, look silly who are not silly. Like you know what I mean? They're great players, and yeah. I just said, I said, I just, I don't know. He looked. He's a video game. Like that's the only thing I can say. It feels like I'm watching a video game with the things he can do. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's you crazy. said it. You said it. He wasn't even like that great last night. He had two assists and he still carried the match. I know. And we were laughing. We're like, oh, McDavid. You know, he didn't do as much, and he still. <laughs> Another multi-point game, right? Like 10 now out of 11 in the playoffs. Um, could you imagine people would just be going crazy if he had two, two games in a row where he didn't have a point? What would be happening in this world? Like yeah. that's different level stuff. It's just, it's, um, it's really unbelievable because he's playing so much. I mean, you know, some people have suggested, I actually had a, a coach suggest to me that they feel like maybe Calgary's making a mistake by continuing to roll their four lines because of what Woodcroft is doing by putting McDavid and Dreisaitl and Kane and those guys out so much and that maybe he needs to condense. Um, you know, that's not Calgary's idea or structure. And I, I'm not a believer that you go away from it, especially at this time of year. I think you find a way. Um, but he has been able to dominate. And uh, Calgary's a really, what, second best defensively in the West, mm. I think, this season. Um, this is uh, what he's doing is special. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, all right. We're going we're to let you actually, just before you came on, I don't know if you heard, but Mike and I were talking about the coaching openings. And as a Manitoba resident, a long time. Manitoban, we were talking about Barry Trotz and then, you know, I mean, what, what you don't, you're not a fan of any team, but as a Manitoban, sure. what's, what do you, what would it be like if Barry Trotz ended up as the head coach of the Jets? I'd keep lobbying for it. I already said, uh, I'd like to, I'd like to do the script for it for he, you already, he already has, Scotty already has a script written. Okay. I, not I, that he wants to, write, he already I'm has it written it right now. What, Scotty, the script for, for Barry Trotz coming back to Manitoba, uh, coaching the Jets. Yeah. Um, do you have any feelings? Of course I do. I mean, I think it would be incredible. I was, you know, born and raised in Manitoba, as was Mr. Trotz. And I know Barry. And he, first of all, he's the type of coach that Winnipeg needs right now. That's the bottom line. They need someone to come in there and get that ship in order. Because since 2018, there's been issues in that room. And nobody wants to talk about it. But we all know what's happening. We saw the players finally come out and start saying things this year. That this is not the direction that they see things going. And it's an issue. He needs to come in there. He needs to bring some structure to that team, figure out how they should play. Because I think the identity of that team has been missing. They have the pieces, they have the talent. There is no way that five central division teams got in this year. And that roster didn't Mm. make it. That is absolutely ridiculous. Right? So they need a coach to come in, figure out how they're going to play, teach them the structure to do so and make them freaking uncomfortable. It's been too long of the inmates running the asylum since Dustin Bufflin went and people don't realize what a piece of the puzzle that was not only on the ice as a game changer, but also in that room and what a connector he was, you know, Blake Wheeler leads by example on the ice. He gives everything he has, but Dustin was, you know, the guy who kind of checked in with the Patrick linings of the world and made things a little light and fun. And they've Mm -hmm. missed that. So, uh, you know, they, they need a little bit of that personnel back. I was really hoping that Joe Thornton, they might be able to get him for a one-year contract or something like that because I think he'd be great in there. But Barry Trotz is exactly what that team needs. It would be a beautiful story. I think what people have to understand, and I'm just going to explain this to people who are not from Manitoba, 
I get that in Winnipeg, we get made fun of because it's Winnipeg. And I am not originally from Winnipeg. I always say to people, I live there. I am from Brandon. And I make yeah. that very clear to people. As much as I have an affection for Winnipeg, I am from Brandon. People oh, from Brandon are very proud. There. That's right. It's a great yeah. community. So here's the thing, though. I am a Manitoban. Barry is a Manitoban. I have chose to come back and live in Manitoba because my family is here. I've been in Boston, Toronto, done everything else. I've chose to come back and live in that province. We yeah. have incredible summers. Uh, Paul Maurice made his home there after he worked there a few years, because what you learn about being Manitoban is it's always home. Yeah. So people need to understand that about Barry Trott's decision. Manitoba will always be his home. He is connected there. And there is nothing like my very first game in hockey night in Canada's reporter was the jets versus the flyers in Winnipeg. There is nothing more special than going back home and doing your job that you love. And so, you know, here I am with ESPN doing a job that I love and I get to stay at home and do it. Might have horrible travel. I still <laughs> can stay at home and do it. There's something about that province and the people of that province that hold you as prairie people. And uh, I think that's going to factor into Barry's decision. I really do. I don't think it's going to come down to all the money because I think Barry has been there and done that. Yeah, money's great. But I think Winnipeg has a shot. And it's not like they're in a rebuild. They have talent there. They just need to bring in a few things. But it's whether or not they can all get on the same page. And, um, you know, when I look at the other teams out there, I think the home connection is really going to be a huge piece for Mr. Trotz and his decision. That's my gut. I'm with you. I, I, I think it's perfect fit. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate uh, well, having – hung around for a long time, you know, cross paths with Barry and just, uh, such, uh, such a quality human being. I just, I like, I like the fit. So we'll have to, we'll, we'll have you back on Leah and we'll, yeah, and we'll see if we're right. Yeah. He's also a recruiting tool. Cause it's hard for, it's yeah, hard yeah. for Winnipeg to get some UFAs. We know that it's like Detroit, Buffalo, sadly, cause they're all great markets. It's just, you know, why wouldn't you go to Tampa and not pay tax? Why wouldn't you go to Vegas and, you know, and all those different places? I get it. But having a coach like Barry Trotz would also, I think, do a lot for not only the team that's there, but for creating the team, you know, going forward because of how much respect we all have for him. Yeah, totally agree. We'll see. We'll see. All right. (laughs) It's been outstanding and uh, really appreciate you getting up and coming to chat with us. I feel like a real pro on air. Yeah. I know. It's perfect. It's relaxed. We don't need to make the talk. I literally woke up, like, as you can tell, I woke up like 15 minutes, enough time to wash my face and brush my teeth and make a cup of coffee because, uh, you know, when you get done a game, you can't fall asleep for like hours after because you're jacked up. So, uh, you know, it was, you know, you don't fall asleep. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got to get up and try to. I said, I said, Scotty, you know, are we, do you guys, do you use video? It was perfect though. It was, it was outstanding and you're doing great, great work and uh, travel safely. And hopefully uh, we'll cross paths in person sooner than later, but thanks for coming and hanging out with us. I sure hope so. Thank you guys so much for having me on. It's uh, it's been, it's been lovely. Wonderful way to wake up boys. Appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of that series. It doesn't get any better. I will. Cause I don't think it's over in five. I don't think it's over in six. There's still in my gut this feeling there might be seven coming at us. All right. I'd be, that's, I can't imagine better drama than that. Right? So yes, We're, more travel for you, but better drama for us. So absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It was so, it was so much fun. Leah's she's the best. So that was great. And, uh, now we're going to talk Colorado, St. Louis. We didn't quite get to it, but I, and we, I didn't ask Leah because it didn't lead ourselves. I want to know what you thought, Mike, when Anderson's goal Goes by Mike Smith from the far end. The field goal. The field goal. I was waiting for somebody to give the field goal sign. It was incredible. It was incredible for a number of different reasons because, of course, it tied the game at 3-3, and you wonder, is that that a backbreaker? Is that a killer? Mike Smith shakes it off. Of course, the Oilers go on and score twice uh, late in the third period, once in the empty net, uh, to take that victory. What do you think? And if you don't mind sharing, what have you ever had a have you ever had a similar kind of experience? If you don't mind sharing, with full knowledge that this could be a very a very very embarrassing <laughs> moment in my career. Um, listen, I, I don't think it affected Edmonton at all because it was such a fluke. 
Yeah. Like this wasn't like Smith flubbed it or did something wrong. He'd like, he clearly didn't see the puck and, and it went through four of those Navy and burnt orange jerseys on the way to me lost it. Like it's no different than an outfielder losing a ball in the lights. Like it used to happen or losing it in the sun. Like, and this, this can happen. I had it happen once in my career. Uh, it wasn't from the far end. I, I think the shot came from either about the red line or maybe the far blue. And it was just a dump in. And I was playing for the Binghamton senators at the time. And I'll never forget it because I saw the puck get released off the stick, Yeah, but it hit my teammate, Stefan DaCosta. It hit his stick at about our blue line or so. And Scotty, I lost it. I could, I, it went completely out of my field of vision. My eyes couldn't continue. And I heard clunk and I went, Oh shit. <laughs> and I look behind me and I see the puck come back out through my feet. And I went, you've got to be kidding me. And I'm, I did the same thing as Smith. Like I'm just looking around like what the hell just happened? Because <laughs> you, you, the, the human eye, like, physically cannot track a puck if it changes direction quick enough and goes a place that you don't expect. Like you just can't. And it was in the net. And, and I'll tell you what, it's happened to Markstrom and he got, he got this hard. I heard from a lot of people on um, the cane goal that got deflected in last night. It went off Zadorov's off Zadorov stick. Yeah. And it looked terrible because the puck wasn't going very fast. I can tell you right now that unless that puck just magically hits him, he will not make that save. No goaltender will make that save. Yeah. None because the puck was going middle chest and ended up going two feet off target. You can't adjust in time. That is not a bad goal. I'm off my soapbox now. So I'd like to take this to to Colorado St. Louis quickly here to wrap up because I have covered that series so far. And we did touch on it, how the blues have looked completely different without Jordan Bennington. Um, I think what really stands out in the series is, the depth is winning it, but we're only talking about second line depth because McKinnon and Ryan O'Reilly, the two top centers for each team, they have canceled each other out. Yep. And it has allowed that second line for the Colorado avalanche of Nazem Kadri to take over. And he's been the best player in the series. I know he's worn the black hat a little bit, um, you know, being supposedly being the villain for running Bennington, but yeah. his response, Scott, through all the bullshit out there in the world that he faced after that. Like I'm from St. Louis. I'm sickened that all the messages coming from my own town, the racist taunts, all the things that have been out there for Kane. Does he play hard? Yeah. Does he go over the edge sometimes? Yeah, he does. Do I think he, do I think he tried to hurt Bennington? No. Do I think he cared if he ran into him? No. So this is part of hockey, man. Yeah. And I can look at that guy and appreciate how he plays. If I was on the other team, I'd hate it, but I'd want him on my team. And he's been excellent in this series. And that's, what's been crushing St. Louis is that second line and the five on five play St. Louis has St. Louis hasn't had rush chances and their, their power play has been great. So their power play has been great, but without the rush chances, you take away half of St. Louis's offense. Colorado has been so good with their third man high in the offensive zone. They haven't allowed St. Louis to go the other way. And Colorado's buried chances that they've had on rushes and five on five in zone. So um, I think this game's over tonight, honestly, or this series. Yeah. If I have to predict to Scott, I think it's done. Yeah, I, I've been, you know, again, it's all about me, of course, but, you know, I picked St. Louis. I, I thought that, you know, coming out of that uh, first round that against Minnesota, I thought they might be built to. You know, to, I thought they matched up very well against Colorado. And, and, you know, there's no question losing Bennington hurts. And, you know, I give, I give Nazem Kadri and his wife all kinds of credit for addressing, this, addressing their life and, and the garbage that they've had to put up with. I think it's critically important that we not turn our back to it. I was disappointed, frankly, in how the Blues, you know, in general responded to what had gone on there. Um, And I think it's going to take a real gut check for the Blues to extend this series. Um, I think Colorado showed a lot. And and in some ways, you know, I hate to because I'm not there. I don't know. I'm not in that room my sense is that this is the kind of thing that maybe galvanizes a team certainly seemed to galvanize Nazem Kadri, who was unbelievable. Uh, and I thought the blues response to him, both how they responded before the game and during that game, you know, David Perron find um, that team looked for a period of time, like they lost their mind trying to exact revenge. That's 
that's not how you do it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I'm with you. It seems to me that Colorado has too much and without getting to maybe this is it. Um, I hope, uh, you know, I, maybe I'm Pollyanna. I, I, I hope this is another teachable moment. You know, these things happen. He's, mm-hmm. he's a human being with a family and what he went through is unconscionable. Um, we've got to be better than that. So yeah, anyway. I'm sick of it. And I, you know, I, I think St. Louis just, I think whiffed, they whiffed, Barube whiffed when it came to being able to say something. And like, here's the thing with coaches, like you get so in the moment of just trying to coach. Sometimes you forget the gravity of what is taking place. Yep. And and I said this yesterday with Frank on our daily face-off show that I yep. think like, I'm not giving him a pass, but I can understand kind of how that happened. But I think you have to be better than that. Like you have yep. to realize the gravity of these situations and you can make a difference here. And so yep. um, Kadri and his wife facing this head on and, and actually releasing it through their cat's Instagram, I thought was a nice touch. That was really, kind of you know funny to me <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a very um serious situation it was yep. really cool but um i hope this series goes longer i'd love to yeah. be able to see a game six in st louis in person but colorado's good and they're deep and jared bender's been able to take out a 60 point score and burakovsky to put some fresh legs in the lineup yep boy that's that's a lot to contend with. Yeah. Yeah. Brother, next time we convene, there will be four, four teams. A lot of, a lot of road to travel between now and then. Uh, I'm already looking forward to next week as I always do. Um, good work by you and um, stay safe and we'll, we'll do it again next week. I can't wait. Scott, we're getting closer to the prize. I'm just holding out hope here. Stanley cup finals. Oh, maybe we'll see each other. See. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode.